Gospels this evening to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. I've entitled this sermon, Three Kinds of Bums. That's not a word we use down here in the South very much, but I think it's a very fitting word. That's what we find. We find three worthless people or kinds of people and how the father is warning the son to A, be careful around them and B, do not become like them. Children, you've probably heard this from your parents. He's a bum. Stay away from him. He's just trouble. You may think, well, don't be so prejudicial. Well, they care about you. They want what's best for you. And they don't want you to be unduly influenced by those who persistently, willingly, knowingly are evil. The first two things have to do with finances and work. The second, committing one's own body and the members of one's body knowingly, persistently, quickly to evil. I'll read verses 1 through 19 of Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. That's two times now that fowlers have been spoken negatively. (laughs) They're not talking about the fowlers. It's a most unfortunate name as a pastor when you're preaching from wisdom literature. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When when will you rise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers, perversity is in his heart, he devises evil continually, he sows discord, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to him, a proud look a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you and we would ask that we would be those who would avoid such great evil. That we would be quick, not towards evil, but that our feet would run to righteousness. Even tonight we flee to the cross. and We come for help in times of trouble. We come, O Lord, for we are not sufficient of our own to walk in righteousness. We need your spirit. And so may he, our teacher then, guide us in the way that we should go. For the glory and honor of your name we ask these things. Amen.
A simple a word of introduction as we have moved through the book of Proverbs. The father continues a series of lessons given to the son so that when the father is no longer there or the son establishes a home and a life of his own, he might look to these lessons that he might walk in righteousness before God and men. This is where the rubber meets the road. And if you wish to be ready for all that life might throw at you, all of God's providence, all the circumstances that are at times quite unique, there is no better place to turn than the book of Proverbs. It is a practical guide for righteous living, which is why the, uh, the, the psalmist, uh, the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 4, four times, get wisdom, get wisdom. And the father contends to open up that exhortation and the lessons that we find this evening. Two points that I want to make. The first, three warnings. The first point, three warnings. The second point, behavior God hates that also sows discord. Behavior God hates that also sows discord. Let's look at the first point. The first warning is a warning against being a surety. Now, I'll get to what that means in just a moment. Kids, you probably have no idea. Now, let me begin by saying this. There is nothing in life that Scripture does not speak to, either directly or indirectly, by some expression of principle, such that Scripture is that only infallible rule for life and godliness. If you wish to live a righteous life, a wise life, a life that brings glory to God, and you are a blessing and a breath of fresh air to your neighbors... You are to pattern your life according to the word. Now here, as it relates to loaning money to strangers, the father says this. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. He is talking about wrecking yourself financially by loaning money to a stranger. Because you have no guarantee that you will be paid back. It is an unwise investment. And in fact, the father says in verse 1, My son, if you do become a surety for your friend, the reason why I open with, it's a bad idea, don't do it, the whole counsel the father gives to the son is how to get out of it. If you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared. This is not positive language. This is very negative. You are snared by the words of your mouth. Now, you cannot get out of it. You cannot break your pledge. In fact, in our confession, you'll find it in the back of here, there's a whole paragraph, really chapter, dedicated to religious oaths and vows and oaths and vows that are good and bad. Children, maybe you have a habit of saying, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, and you do it over and over again because you have to, well... Parents, it's like when you start yelling. The more you yell, the louder you end up having to get. You've created a problem. And if you are one who continues to say, no, 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 there's a wolf in the woods. When the wolf actually comes, nobody's going to come to help you. If you keep making promises, no one will take you at your word. And so here implied is a B. A person of your word. And since you are a person of your word, you have made an oath 
You are snared. This is what you're to do. Here it is. Here's your solution. Hound them until they pay you back. Just go after them. This is the wise way to get back what you have lent. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, I say to you, though a man will not rise and give to the one because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This is within a parable of someone who has guests and he needs bread to feed them. And so he goes to his friend's house at late at night and says, look, I've got these friends, but I have nothing in the cupboard. Will you give me something? Go away. I'm asleep. Do you know this? Kids, I'm in the bed. Go away. Now, kids, I may be doing some damage in your homes, right? And the knocking continues, and it continues until you get to the point where you have to address it. It won't go away. If you find yourself indebted to another by your own designs, get out of that debt as soon as possible. Now, I think that principle is incredibly useful to all situations of borrowing and lending. First of all, don't ever lend to a stranger. Second of all, don't ever borrow from a stranger. Right? You are beholden to a stranger. And how many of you are happy when Capital One controls your interest rate? In fact, what does every financial counselor tell you? Do not be beholden to a stranger. In fact, there are times in the scriptures where God says, if you're going to lend money, do it without interest. But you better know you may not get paid back. And the only way that Israel was called to do that was with a fellow Israelite. Here the father is warning the son not to get into financial trouble by making difficult or making bad decisions with strange people or strangers. Do not be beholden to them. Now, one of the ways in which the church has become beholden to the world is we have become morally, ethically, and financially beholden to the state or to those in power around us. And it is very difficult when you are on the hook for dollars to make decisions independent, morally independent, and are grounded upon Scripture and not whatever the law du jour might be. You see this happening right now with private colleges everywhere. Because they have received federal grants, what do you have to do? You have to let boys play on girls' sports teams. Get out of those situations, the Father says. Do not become a debtor to a stranger. Simple. Listen, if you're coming to Proverbs sermons to have some sort of epic clouds parting and the light shining through moment, this is just salty, run-of-the-mill biblical wisdom. Now, it's not run-of-the-mill anymore, is it? It's just not. In fact, when you're watching television, recently we've been watching more Braves games than we've ever watched before, and I've got to admit, it's pretty great. I've never seen so many commercials about borrowing money. Borrow this, borrow that, use this card. And guess what? If you borrow 99% of the money, we'll give you 1% back. Oh my gosh, it's, it's a deal too good to pass up. I'll get 1% back. 
that's really that's not a good deal. Here, here's what we'll do. We'll bleed you of 99% of your blood, but we'll give you 1% back. Are you good for that? No, you're dead. This is the world in which we live. And the Father is saying, you need to know how this works. Stay away from those bad deals. And then second, not only is he warning the Son to stay away from a kind of self-inflicted economic risk caused by another, but caused by himself. Don't be a lazy bum. Look at verse 6. In fact, time and time again, God uses the illustration of animals like a rock badger, the eagle, the deer, and here an ant. Go to the ant. Why? He speaks to the sluggard. Consider the ways of the ant and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. That the way of reversing one's own plight is by persistent work and diligently seeking one's own well-being. Now he's called first to get after the debtor and get his money back. Here, the son is exhorted not to become lazy, but to look to the ant and see that she works without having a captain. Now what he means by that is this. Though God is sovereign over all things, God uses means. You cannot sit on your hands and watch the grain grow and say, well, God will bring in the harvest if he really wants it to come in. We often do this even in the church with missions, do we not? In fact, there's a whole theological movement called hyper-Calvinism. If God wants them to come to Christ, he'll bring them. How does God bring men to Christ? By sending laborers out into the harvest. How does God call you to prepare for yourself in winter? By you going out and bringing in the harvest. Don't be lazy. In fact, it had gotten so bad in Thessalonica when Paul is writing to the church. This is what he says. Now, kids, I want to... I want you to think. I want you to listen. And as I listen, I want you to think of that time when this was also expressed in American history. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge. He's talking about the apostles, the preachers, the ministers. But we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Why are they working hard? They could have asked, right? Pay us for our labors. That is the labors of preaching the gospel. But they did not. They actually worked in a tent-making role so that they might be example. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Here it is. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary. Go to the ant, Paul would say, you sluggard. 
Verse 9, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? How long or when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And then what happens? There's nothing. You have nothing to show for your laziness. You sowed nothing, you reap nothing. Do not grow weary in doing good. In fact, how are we to labor? We are to outdo one another in love and good deeds. And we are, as Christ would say, you are to live for the well done of Christ himself. Son, don't be a sluggard. And then there's a third evil kind of person here, a wicked man. An evil rebel, a reckless, worthless person. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a... And let's look at the parts that are mentioned. He mentions the mouth as being perverse, the eyes that wink. Now, winking is not a bad thing, necessarily. right? I guess it depends on who you wink at, as it were. Winking here means sort of having like double intentions. It's a kind of... Seeking men's approval by pouring honey in their ears. Feet, well, they shuffle. They don't walk straight ahead. They're not persistent. They don't go after righteousness. They shuffle to the path of wickedness. Fingers that point. How many of you are tattletales? <laughs> Were, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Mom, come on. And then, obviously, you're like, shh, whatever, just, just don't tell her. And then you become, obviously, you get involved in some, uh, some cover-up scheme, right? Finger-pointing. It's a kind of judgmentalism that is only capable when there is an immense amount of moral or spiritual pride. You delight in getting people in trouble. The heart. A heart that is perverse. It is corrupt. It cannot interact with others without unholy desires. A mind that devises cruelty. How can I hurt? How can I bring damage? And a mouth that sows discord among neighbors. There's always some, not just negativity, but it is attack. It is gossip. It is putting down. It is not an instrument whereby the body is built up. Remember what James says? The most powerful weapon in the world is the tongue. It can steer a massive ship like a rudder. It can set a whole forest ablaze like a spark. Every man has tamed, or every wild beast is tamed by man, but there is one wild beast that has not been tamed. It is the tongue. And there is only one who can tame our tongues, and that is the Holy Spirit. What kind of calamity comes upon this man? First of all, why does he do these things? Because he delights in wickedness. It gives him joy to bring pain to others. I'm talking to you older brothers sometimes, right? Older siblings. It gives you a kind of perverse delight to see your siblings squirm. You know what God calls that? Worthless behavior. Wicked behavior. And what happens? Well, the goal is to bring calamity, distress upon another. Except what? All those rounds you've been firing return to you. They come back upon you. There is calamity. 
You will be broken and there will be no remedy. There is but judgment. Why does the Father warn the Son of these things? Because there is a God in heaven who sees all and he is the great judge. And so, this brings me to my second point then. All of this is behavior that God hates, that sows and brings discord. In fact, basically what we have in verses 16 through 19 are four verses that are a repetition of the four verses that come right before. Why are they repeated? Well, in the first part, the Father speaks of the practical danger of it to a person. If you become such a man, calamity will fall upon you. And then, as he often does in certain sections in the book of Proverbs, time and again, he reminds him that God is the one who is judge. These things are wicked not because they, in a vacuum, a moral vacuum, bring danger. There is no moral vacuum. We do not live in a moral vacuum. It is not a choose-your-own-adventure kind of life. We live in the world that God has made. And so the Father says... These things, God hates them. They are an abomination. Now, what does that mean? They are those things that God must damn, judge, punish. This is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of a life disconnected from God. It comes not from heaven but hell. Now, the Father has been for a time... Concerned with the body parts of the Son because they are the means by which we convey action. And what are those body parts connected to? The very thing that controls them, their hearts. We're talking about a wicked heart and how that informs what this wicked man does. And all of these sins are sins against God because God is judge. But when we sin against God, what do we feel for it? Well, God does bring judgment. But if we don't care about what God thinks, guess what we don't attribute to him or to those actions? God's personal wrath. For instance, in the world in which we live, there are all manner of ways in which God is revealing himself in creation Generally and specially in the lives of people where he is saying, you ought not live this way. And there are people who are blinded to that revelation. They do not understand the consequence of their decisions. And those consequences are vast and multitudinous in our culture. We are living right now in a day and age where there are many who are given over to their sin and the very moral choices they make are the product of their rebellion that they've already committed. And they have no idea they're under the judgment of Almighty God. But there are ways that God reveals to us practically in ways we can see that we are sinning. And it is the dividing and the sowing of discord among our neighbors. By and large, if it hurts the body, it displeases the Lord. Now, there are times where we have to cause a stink in the right direction, right? We have to say no or yes 
when there are those who are walking in wickedness and we do not want to go with them, and we say we will stand for Christ. Maybe you've seen the t-shirt, right? Swim against the tide, and it's the little Christian fish going against all the other fish. That was a really popular t-shirt in the 90s when Christian t-shirts were huge. There are times where we have to absolutely go against the tide. And it can cause discord. And in fact, there is a kind of discord that the gospel brings, even to a home. When one person is redeemed and others are not, there is a kind of disunion there. There is some friction. But here, the Father speaks of those things that are clearly detrimental. It's the same things. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes or plans, feet that are swift, swift, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. These adverbs are important. And this morning when I called Bo up and the rest of the Whitlocks Hank was ready to go. Did y'all notice that? He was running up here. He was running in the right direction, wasn't he? <laughs> and by God's grace, Hank will get to run up here sometime, someday and make his own profession of faith. But there are those who, when they hear about the allurements of sin, run to those things. They cannot wait to do it. And God says... I don't hate that. This is greatly displeasing to me. Hands that shed not just blood. We're not talking about a just use of force. We're talking about violence. Hearts that devise. What is devising? It's planning. It is planning. Just recently... The DNC decided to get on Twitter and post, in light of Roe v. Wade, the one-year anniversary, abortion is health care. Someone had to devise that, and God finds it an abomination. But you know what? Remember what Christ says in the Beatitudes? Thou shalt not kill, but I say to you, if anyone's ever spoken with anger in their heart or said, I hate you, is guilty of murder. Dear saints, we ought to check the condition of our hearts and hold it up in light of the word that God has given us. And when we find ourselves perhaps a little too happy to sin, a little too joyous to create chaos, When it becomes so easy to lie, perhaps to look in that mirror a little too long and think too highly of oneself and too little of others. To plan in such a way that your neighbors are brought low, there is but one remedy for the things that God despises. And that is to plead the mercy of Christ for forgiveness. In fact... This morning, I read it, Colossians chapter 3. Paul exhorts the saints, knowing that the saints do sin. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May we be like the sons of the Father, heeding his counsel. May our hearts be stirred to righteousness, and may we seek the good of our neighbors. Let's pray. Lord.